0: Today's reading uh, is from the Acts of the Apostles and Paul's letter uh, to the churches in Rome. It's from Acts 15. Some people came down to Antioch from Judea teaching the family of believers, unless you're circumcised according to the custom we've received from Moses, you can't be saved. Paul and Barnabas, they took sides against these Judeans and argued strongly against their position. The church at Antioch appointed Paul, Barnabas, and several others from Antioch to go up to Jerusalem to set this question before the apostles and the elders. Verse six, the apostles and the elders gathered to consider this matter. And after much debate, Peter stood and addressed them. Fellow believers, you know that early on, God chose me from among you as the one through whom the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and come to believe. God, who knows people's deepest thoughts and desires, Confirmed this by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, but purified their deepest thoughts and desires through faith. Why then are you now challenging God by placing a burden on the shoulders of these disciples that neither we nor our ancestors could bear? On the contrary, we believe that we and they are saved in the same way, by the grace of the Lord Jesus. The entire assembly fell quiet as they listened to Barnabas and Paul describe all the signs and wonders God did among the Gentiles through their activity. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Join me as I pray. Jesus, we thank you for this word. Spirit, we pray that you would illumine this word in our lives, even in this moment as Justin comes to preach. God, I pray that you would dwell um, in us and among us as we open together. Um, this passage out of Acts. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.
1: Well, good morning, church. It is good to be with you. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ City. And I hope you've been able to see God at work this week, even amidst the heaviness that continues to abound (laughs) Last Sunday afternoon, many of us were able to go out to protest in support of our Black siblings, to pray, and march and sing with almost a thousand other people from churches in the D.M.V. area. We have seen policies put forward and even passed in this last week that are substantive steps in the right direction. Uh, Thirteen of the top fifteen nonfiction books on the New York Times bestseller list are by Black authors or about racism and America's racial history for the first time ever. And as a church. Uh, we have offered additional financial support to several organizations that are about the work of seeking racial equity and justice here in our city and in our neighborhoods. Uh, Minor Elementary's mutual aid network, supporting the families attached to the school we have called home for the last seven years. Uh, Little Lights, a faithful presence in underserved neighborhoods for the last 20-plus years, and hosts of a race literacy program which many CCCers have taken and Pathways to Power, a student-led effort to empower DC's young people to address issues like gun violence and mental health and education, poverty and gentrification. These are organizations we have supported previously and will continue to champion. Now to that list we added Black Swan Academy, which focuses on empowering black youth in underserved communities through civic leadership and engagement. And later this week our elders will meet And one of the things we'll talk about and pray about is next steps in institutionalizing and making actionable our anti-racism for the sake of the gospel. Now, this is not to ignore the fact that COVID-19 continues to make life difficult as well, that that all of us are carrying more than we would like to be carrying and, and have been for longer than we wish we were. And here, let me reiterate, if you are in need of help in any way, prayer, counseling, financial, please don't hesitate to reach out. As we explored in our last series, Being Church, we are the body of Christ. We are here in part to look out for and look after one another, as well as those around us. And so, if you have a prayer request, you can follow the link at Online Church, or you can go to the link uh, that we posted uh, earlier in the chat. Uh, If you need counseling, hit up counseling at ChristCityDC.org. And if you need financial help, please email one of the pastors and we will get back to you. Last week, we kicked off a new series called The Welcoming Kingdom. It's a series we have long been planning, preparing, and praying for. It's a series we believe will be pivotal in the life of our church, not least because one of its central aims, one of its main goals is, as Watson said last week, to set as our church's orientation and posture the radical welcome and inclusion of God's kingdom. That's our hope. It's not that we haven't sought to be welcoming and inclusive before this series, but there are, and and there will always be, ways in which we fall short of God's welcome. And in those places of falling and failing, we are invited to learn, to grow, to go deeper still in becoming more and more like Christ as individuals and as a community. Today, I'm going to talk about what to do with difference and disagreement, what to do with difference and disagreement? How do we navigate being united in community with folks with whom we may not see eye to eye, even if we both call ourselves Christians? How do we understand oneness in Christ with people who may express their faith differently, perhaps even in ways that hurt us? Is a community that embodies the welcome of God to all people even possible? And if so, what does it demand of us? Now there are many ways I could have gone with this message. Many specifics in your own lives that I'm sure are coming to mind. Let me say from the outset that I know I won't be able to capture the whole picture. There are situations and scenarios that I won't be able to address adequately. I'm, I'm not specifically going to talk about how to disagree with your family or on social media or how to navigate political differences or disagreements in general. And so there will be ands, ifs, and buts. There will be what abouts. Uh, But there's a poem written by Father Ken Untenner in honor of the Salvadoran Bishop St. Oscar Romero called Prophets of a Future Not Our Own, and there's a line in that poem that has been grounding for me this week. It says, Nothing we do is complete, which is a way of saying that the kingdom always lies beyond us. No statement says all that could be said. And I personalized that this week to no sermon says all that could be said. The words I say today build on top of what Matthew said last week, and on top of our Being Church series before that, and so on. The words I say today are complemented by the deeds that I, that we as a church do, by the lives we lead, by the prayers we pray, by the ways we serve, and the love we show. And so, with that disclaimer, with that disclaimer, let's talk about difference and disagreement in the church. The first lesson uh, we learn from the passage that Matthew read earlier from Acts 15 is that difference and disagreement are not new to us. They are not new to us. Uh, they, they come to us, they have been around as long as the church has been around. And they will continue to be around. Difference and disagreement are part of being People. We bring our own different backgrounds, we bring our own upbringings, perspectives, ideas, hopes, dreams, talents, gifts, wounds, scars, and baggage. Difference and disagreement are are natural, actually. They're an inevitable part of life. But let me also be clear that where we will land, where I think the gospel presses us forward, is not just in splitting the difference, not in both sides in every topic. African-American author Robert Jones Jr. said, We can disagree and still love each other unless your disagreement is rooted in my oppression and the denial of my humanity and right to exist. Theologian Jamar Tisby has a book called The Color of Compromise, which is one of our recommended resources, and, and it documents the historical complicity of white American Christians in creating and perpetuating racist ideas and racial injustice over the years and using the Bible to do so. The Bible has been used to justify animosity against Catholics, Protestants, Anabaptists, almost every denomination, actually. It has been used to justify slavery, marital abuse, and segregation. It has been used to ostracize divorcees, those with AIDS, and queer folks. And my point is not that the Bible is bad, not at all. I think the Bible, when properly understood and honored, tells us how God has worked in history, and thus is at work in the present. And most importantly, points us to the living word of God, Jesus himself. My point is, as I said a few weeks ago, we're not called to unity for the sake of unity. We're called to unity in Christ for the sake of the world. And that means we judge the rightness of our unity against the standard of Jesus. Does this make us more or less like Christ? Similarly, the path forward. In the midst of difference and disagreement is not simply naming the lowest common denominator or finding the middle point between two perspectives. The framework with which we measure everything we do and all that we are is Jesus and His kingdom. That is, how do we reflect the love and grace and justice of God's kingdom to a world in need? That is our foundation. As the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 14, Make love your aim. Make love your aim. But even in a community of believers committed to that aim, we can disagree about what love looks like, can't we? We can disagree about what the most loving response is, right? Do we love by showing grace? By allowing someone to learn from their mistakes? By walking away? Or do we love by speaking truth? By standing up? By drawing hard boundaries? There is no one answer. Depends on the situation. Depends on the context, it depends on who's involved, and on their story as well. Early on in the church's life, they experienced a pretty big disagreement. After the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples of Jesus at Pentecost, they were scattered across the Roman Empire, and they took the seeds of the gospel with them to plant, and churches were birthed, including one in the city of Antioch, in what is now Turkey. Acts 11 tells us that the church in Antioch was one of the first Gentile, that is, non-Jewish, churches. Remember, Christianity started as a predominantly Jewish movement following a Jewish rabbi. It was in Antioch that the followers of Jesus were first called Christians, and it was to Antioch that a man by the name of Saul, who had made his name persecuting and killing Christians, was brought after his conversion to the way of Jesus, And his companion, his champion in that understandably skeptical community, the church in Antioch, was a man by the name of Barnabas. So We have Saul, whose name was Paul, and Barnabas in Antioch. And in Acts 15, we're told a group of Christians came to Antioch from Judea, the region around Jerusalem, and they began telling the Gentile Christians in the church that they had to be circumcised in order to be saved, that that they could not be saved unless they were circumcised. Now, it's hard to fully convey the the gravity, the intensity of this disagreement to modern ears as we are centuries and cultures removed. So one New Testament theologian tries to explain it like this. There were, uh, these, these Judean believers were people who believed that the God of the scriptures, and remember there was no New Testament at this time, the God of the scriptures was the same God who sent Jesus. Jesus was the Jewish Messiah, the answer to Jewish questions, the fulfillment of Jewish law and prophets sent by the same God who sent those laws and prophets. And so how could a person claim to accept Jesus and the Father who sent him while refusing to listen to the other things that God had said and asked? Circumcision, you see, circumcision had been a sacred practice for generation upon generation upon generation of Jews. It was the sign of the covenant for Jews. It was a physical marker of being God's people. And it had been for thousands of years. Thousands of years. Now, of course, it was only for men, but that's another topic for another day. But think about how attached Americans can get to the Constitution, right? And that's only been around for a couple hundred years. The Judean believers would be saying, this is not something you just stop doing. This is a necessary part of what it means to be God's people. And I hope you can see and understand where they're coming from. Centuries, millennia of tradition and practice. But Paul and Barnabas disagreed. For them, it was faith in Christ alone that saved, not any acts on our own part. And that makes sense to us. Because we stand in our own centuries of being in that tradition, the non-Jewish Christian tradition. But this was no easy pill for the Jewish believers at the time to swallow. And so after no small dissension and debate, it says in verse 2, it was decided they would go to Jerusalem, the headquarters of the movement, so to speak, and plead their case before the apostles and elders. And so the Jerusalem council, which included Peter, the apostle, and James, the brother of Jesus, they, they take up this matter and they consider it deeply. It is no easy thing to turn centuries millennia of accepted tradition and practice on their head. It is no easy thing to navigate a path through two seemingly incompatible positions with the added pressure of historical ethnic tensions between Jews and Gentiles. But it is not every day that a man is raised from the dead and revealed to be the Son of God. It is not every day that the Spirit of God is poured out on all people. It's not every day that the doors of what was supposed to be a Jewish faith are flung open to non-Jews. All of these things, I'm I'm sure, were ideas that were voiced. Verse 7, after there had been much debate. After there had been much debate. You know, there's so much held in those short few words. So much conflict, so much tension, so much uncertainty as with any discussion that draws out our convictions, after there had been much debate. Theologian Willie Jennings observes that Luke, the author of Acts, holds up this debate and holds up the obvious pain and struggle that must have been part of it as a reality of the Spirit working the divine will. Yet no one was cast as evil, a child of the devil, and thereby relegated to blindness or death by worms. The debate is a river that must be crossed. It is a mountain that must be climbed as they follow the spirit. The fact that they could even have a debate might be interpreted as a sign of salvation and a sure mark of a shared story, a shared way of reasoning that could bring them light. And that way forward, was, the way forward was found in testimony, in truth embodied in flesh. It was the Spirit's testimony, the Spirit's experience of indwelling the Gentiles that Peter had heard and seen. That's what we see in the following verses. It's Peter standing up and saying, I bear witness to the Spirit's power upon the Gentiles, those who we once thought were outside the welcome of God's kingdom. He says, God, who knows people's deepest thoughts and desires, confirmed this by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as He did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, but purified their deepest thoughts and desires through faith. Why then are you now challenging God by placing a burden on the shoulders of these disciples that neither we nor our ancestors could bear? On the contrary, we believe that we and they are saved in the same way by the grace of the Lord Jesus. We and they are saved in the same way by the grace of the Lord Jesus. Matthew and I have both said these last couple of weeks that we hope this series will set as our church's orientation and posture the radical welcome and inclusion of God's kingdom, the welcoming kingdom. There are a number of issues in which this kingdom inclusion bears upon our community, but three areas in particular that I want to name are gender equity, racial justice, and LGBTQ inclusion. Gender equity, racial justice, and LGBTQ inclusion. The first two, gender equity and racial justice, have been evidenced in our practice, I hope, though not explicitly in policy since our inception and our birth as a parish in 2013. The third has been a matter of discernment, and dialogue, and even debate, for several years, with the elders and leadership of the church engaging on this often divisive topic with care and commitment since Christ City came to be in 2017. You know, this was something that Matthew and I knew we would navigate as a church, even before we became Christ City Church. We haven't always landed in exactly the same place on a number of questions, not just pertaining to LGBTQ issues, but But we've never dismissed each other as less Christian, less committed to Jesus or the church or scripture, just because our interpretive journeys lead us to different conclusions about what love may be calling us to. We both have love as our aim. And so together with the elders of the church who discern and set the vision and strategy of our church, we entered into a months-long process of prayer and conversation and learning reading books and articles, listening to podcasts and sermons, consulting with other churches and pastors, reflecting on Scripture and how people might read things differently. But perhaps most importantly, we listened to the experience of queer Christians who are or have been part of our church community. We listened to the Spirit's testimony through these followers of Jesus. What we heard back was sobering. It was that we had hurt them by our silence, by our lack of clarity. It was that despite a desire to be welcoming, we had not in fact been welcoming to them. Not a place where they felt they could be who they were or even a place where they could safely ask those questions. Which weighed so heavy on all of us. Because if there's any place where it should be safe to ask questions and still be loved, if there's any place where all of who we are, no matter how sure we are about it, should be included and welcomed and loved, it should be the church. This is not a distraction. This is not a diversion or a dilution from pressing into issues we've been talking about recently, specifically racial justice. We continue to mourn and fight for black lives. And even today, I think of Rayshard Brooks, killed yesterday, On his daughter's birthday, as I see it, this is all part of the fabric of being citizens of God's kingdom. It means we seek to see that kingdom here on earth, to pray that prayer, your kingdom come. And where God asks it of us to be the answers to that prayer. This month is Pride Month. It's a time for queer folk to be affirmed and recognized as fully human and valuable. Because more often than not, that isn't how LGBTQ people are treated. I'm going to share some difficult statistics so that we can see the work of redemption and restoration that is still to be done. 40% of all transgender adults, have attempted suicide. Just this past week, two black trans women were murdered. Raya Milton and Dominique Fells, Because of bullying, because of the difficulty of coming out, Because of family rejection, lesbian, gay, and bisexual teenagers are five times more likely to attempt suicide than their straight counterparts. In fact, gay teenagers who grow up in religious households that condemn homosexuality are anywhere from three to eight times more likely to commit suicide than gay teenagers who grow up in non-condemning families. And for many of you, as for me, these are not just stats and figures. They're names. They're faces of people we know and love and even of ourselves. Each one made in the image of God and dearly loved by God, this is personal. This is urgent. This is real. And if the gospel has nothing to say to this, no good news to offer, then it's not the gospel of Jesus Christ, which offers love and life and hope and a kingdom embrace to every single person who desires it. Every single person who desires it. Before I get to where the elders came to land on this. Let me first say to my queer siblings in Christ, I'm sorry. The church has historically had an awful record when it comes to caring for queer folk, offering condemnation instead of compassion, enmity instead of empathy, a cold shoulder instead of a warm embrace, and in doing so, even turned people away from the love of God as revealed in Jesus. But as we learned, our church hasn't done a great job of it either. And in my own journey, I have been part of the leadership of churches that may have contributed to your hurt, and pain that may have turned you away from the love of Christ. And so let me say, as a pastor, as a representative of the church, and a representative of this church, and as a Christian, one who is committed to living and loving like Jesus, I'm sorry. I see you, and I'm sorry, and I thank you for being with us. As pastors, as elders, as a leadership council, which is mostly made up of our small group leaders and ministry team leaders, We, we have folks who believe different things theologically about LGBTQ issues, but we were all committed to loving our queer siblings better, to being a community that better embodied the love of Christ. After months of going through this process together, the elders began to coalesce around a position late last summer that we described as fully inclusive. That is fully inclusive of all of us. In other words, all are welcome to serve, engage, and lead at all levels of the church. Whether you identify as LGBTQ or straight, whether you hold a more affirming theology of sexuality and marriage, or a more traditional theology of sexuality and marriage. In other words, to restate Peter's words, we're all saved in the same way, by the grace of the Lord Jesus. Now, I'm sure you'll have questions or comments about this. What does it mean? How will things change? What if I don't agree? This is too much or not enough. Now, the elders will be available at least twice this week. First, today, we will have a breakout room in our after-service hangout if you'd like to join. And second, particularly for those who might want some time to think about their questions or or to ask them anonymously, we will have another call this Thursday evening, and we'll send out more information about that today. What we'll also make available is a paper put together by the elders that lays out the theological foundation for our posture. These last few months, we've also had a, a working group made up of a few folks from our leadership council, a few elders, and also a few queer CCCers and friends who have been putting in hard time these last 10, 11 weeks to make this inclusion actionable, to think through the practical implications, to raise the questions you probably have that we need to answer. What I want to communicate is that this is not a solo decision or a solo effort. It came about through prayer and discernment and debate. It has been a test and an opportunity for our leaders to practice unity in Christ, to practice offering grace, to practice empathy, to practice discerning the guidance of the Spirit, to practice making love our aim. And I've been so humbled and honored to see how our community has already stepped up. You know, in some ways, this posture is new. There's, there's a new clarity for us to lean on. But in other ways, it's, it's simply a statement of who we have been. We have been ministered to, preached to, led in worship, prayed over, served communion by people who have identified as queer, though you may not have known they were out, and by folks who have held both more affirming and more traditional stances on human sexuality and marriage. We have served alongside each other on ministry teams and at the H Street Festival and at at Rosedale Halloween. We have talked and shared and prayed together and carried each other's burdens in our small groups. Because I believe we have been committed to Christ and His body first, to helping one another grow in faith and hope and love. On Pentecost Sunday, I talked about the Spirit breaking open and joining together the community of Christ. This is one such breaking open and joining together that we as elders sensed God leading us into. And there's both pain and uncertainty and joy and hope in this. African-American Catholic theologian M. Sean Copeland wrote, The only body capable of taking us all in as we are with all our different body marks is the body of Christ. Let me say that again. The only body capable of taking us all in as we are with all our different body marks is the body of Christ. I believe that. I believe that the church is a place for all of us, no matter where we may be on our journey, that that is what Christ looks like and therefore what the Spirit is forming us into. The Cistercian monk, Thomas Merton, offers us a beautiful and convicting metaphor. He wrote this, As long as we're on earth, the love that unites us will bring us suffering by our very contact with one another because, listen to this, this love is the resetting of a body of broken bones. His love is the resetting of a body of broken bones. He says, even saints can't live with saints on this earth without some anguish, without some pain at the differences that come between them. And there are two things which people can do about the pain of disunion with other people. They can love or they can hate. Hatred recoils from the sacrifice and the sorrow that are the price of this resetting of bones. It refuses the pain of reunion. Friends, we live in polarized times. And it's becoming increasingly easy to silo ourselves into echo chambers with people who will agree with us, whether on social media or in church communities, by leaving if we disagree with something or someone And yet this should be antithetical to a church that proclaims and follows and seeks to emulate Jesus Christ, who ate and talked with both rich and poor, Pharisee and tax collector, Roman oppressor and Jewish freedom fighter. Jesus drew people of all kinds to himself. And in this context, in this context, it's all the more poignant that Jesus said, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. As sociologist Christina Cleveland writes, we represent Jesus well when we draw near to other believers regardless of differences. This is how we show unbelievers Jesus' heart. And this is how we invite them to join us in following Him. This is true whenever and wherever there is disagreement, whether it's about how to accomplish and pursue racial justice and and reconciliation, or how to bridge political differences, or how to care for and love our queer siblings. We do not have to divide over our disagreements, and we do not have to agree with everyone we accept. To quote Willie Jennings again, difference is best maintained, maintained in its life-giving realities through communion with others difference is best maintained through communion with others. Only in life, shared, joined, and exchanged in desire of being made permanent can differences emerge in their deepest beauty, which is as invitations to the expansion of life and love. In Christ, all things are being bound together, being brought back together. Wrong and hurt and hate And sin, they must be named and repented of so that they may may, may be healed in the light of day. But God offers healing to all of us through the breath of the Spirit, the life of God, remember? Just as there was healing for the early church, even through their deep disagreement. And I would encourage you to look again at how that early church navigated this in Acts 15, that, that the line they walked in including both the Jewish believers who wanted to follow their tradition, and the Gentile believers who did not feel the need to. It's, it's a beautiful and, and challenging example for us today. Who are you becoming? is a question I often pose to others and, and to myself, because I think our trajectory of spiritual formation and life transformation is important and always in process who are we becoming as a church, is likewise a question that is important, not just for me as a pastor or for the elders as the leaders of the church, but for all of us to consider, all of us who call Christ City our home and who make Christ City what it is. My hope and prayer is that the answer to both of those questions is and will ever be more like Jesus. There is... (laughs) More work to be done, friends. Much more. More naming, more repenting, more growing, more learning in as many ways as we are incomplete and broken. But The promise of God is that if we go through, if we go where the Spirit leads, even through death, we will find life and hope and love on the other side.